Good morning. Good to see you out today on this uh, Canada Day long weekend. Um, it's good to see everyone. My name is Jordan. I'm the adult ministry pastor here at Soul Sanctuary. And I just want to thank you for coming out today. And uh, we're just going to dive into the life lesson uh, momentarily. We're continuing along in our series, The Up Upside Down Kingdom, uh, study of the book of Matthew. But I just want to ask, anybody do fireworks yesterday? Anyone, right? How many of you enjoyed the fireworks? Did you guys have fun out there? You know, fireworks are interesting because I heard them start to go off at 11 o'clock and I immediately kind of mistook them for gunshots for a second. And then my better sense kicked in and it was like, oh, Canada Day, right? It's like that one time a year where it's dark, it's nighttime, and you appear to hear shots and you're like, oh, happy Canada, right? You know, July 2nd, it's 911 as soon as you hear that, right? And so last night was a little bit different. Um, we heard them go off, and my, my first concern was, oh no, Zara's going to wake up, right? And if Zara wakes up, my little daughter, she's only nine months, then, you know, we're waking up for a while, right? And so, uh, but thankfully, she was able to sleep through them, even though they sounded like they were coming from my neighbor's backyard, and I never confirmed if they were, but it sure looked like they were, right? And so uh, I hope you enjoyed Canada Day. I hope you're able to get out with friends and family. Hope you were able to enjoy the fireworks and all that stuff. But uh, let's get into it today. It, um, if you have your Bible or your phone or if you want to look to the screen, let's look at Matthew and uh, chapter 7. And uh, we're going to start at verse 7. And let's read through um, our passage of Scripture today. Scripture says, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your, will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. And so this morning, as we begin today, as we begin um, to unpack these verses and what they might mean for us and our lives and the lives of those around us, we're going to be looking this morning at the subject of prayer. And so as Josh mentioned, uh, some of you, I, I, one of you came up to me at coffee and said, you know, I made it in, in time just for half a song, right, of worship time. Um, we're going to finish that off and invite you for prayer um, as we end today. But I guess a good place for us to start this morning is by pondering and asking ourselves the question, what is it that we pray about? What do we pray about? Do we pray about things that um, matter or do we pray about things that don't really matter? Do you ever find yourself or see others praying for stuff that doesn't really matter? Now, I think a very easy subject for me to pick on this morning when we're talking about praying for things that don't completely matter is sports, right? You see all sorts of praying going on around sports and um, it's interesting, you know, every time there's a sports uh, game, whether it be the Super Bowl, you know, the Stanley Cup playoffs, whatever the case may be, there's oftentimes you see teams praying that their team would win, right? And I remember watching the NFL Network once before Super Bowl time. It was, I believe, the year the Ravens played the 49ers. That was about four or five years ago. And linebacker Ray Lewis was on set talking with uh, another Christian, uh, Deion Sanders. And he was talking about how, you know, we're praying, we're praying, we're praying. I believe we're going to win this game. I believe we're going to win this game, right? And, and Deion Sanders looks over at him across the, the set and says to him, you know what? 
Ray, there's Christians there too. There's Christians on that team as well. They're praying too, man, right? And, and he, he kind of just brought it to light. Like, you know, sports are fun. Sports are awesome. Winning a game is great. Uh, you know, pray that no one would get injured. Pray that no one would get hurt. But, you know, sometimes praying for the outcome, I don't know. But part of me thinks God has a lot more happening, right? Than, than worrying about that per se. But, you know, there are things that we pray for that do matter and that do make a difference in our everyday lives. Maybe for some of us today, we're praying for healing. Uh, maybe for some of us today, we're praying for our relationships. There's been relationships that have been broken, uh, relationships that have a wedge in them, right? And we're praying for those. We're praying that God would heal us. Some of us are praying for work. We're praying for finances. We're praying for provision to come through. We all deal with many things. We all go through many things. And we all pray. We all come to God. And we all ask for all sorts of different things. And Jesus invites us with these words, ask, seek, and knock. This is the language and world of desire. Ask, seek, and knock. What do you desire? What is it that you desire? What do you want? What is it that you want? And so with such a request, what would you ask for? What's the first thing that pops into your mind? Are there appropriate or are there inappropriate things that we could be asking God for? Keep that in mind, but first, a little bit about us and the way we approach Scripture. Let's talk about my buddy Larry for a minute, okay? I'm going to talk about my buddy Larry, and I'm going to post a couple of sentences on the screen, and I invite you to fill in the blanks with what naturally comes to mind when you think about my buddy Larry here, okay? So if I could have everyone's attention and focus at the screens, first we see that Larry blank lives with his parents. And so what do you think could possibly f go in there? Think, finish that for yourself. If you're brave enough, yell out what you think would go in that blank. Anyone? Still. Wow. Okay. What's that? Okay, doesn't, okay? <laughs> so we have a couple trains of thought going down here. I appreciate your involvement in this game here, or this, this equation with us being a small crowd. So let, let, let's roll with still. What if it was still? Larry still lives with his parents. Now let's go to the second part of that, the second sentence. Larry is a blank. Anyone? What? Did someone say loser? Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> We're just letting it all out here today, eh? We're going for it today. Oh, I love that. Uh, I, you know, whatever. It's, it's, it's whatever comes to your mind, right? It's whatever comes to your mind when you see these equations. You know, I'm sure there are more than a few of us who maybe didn't exercise kindness, and I heard it out loud, right? And we're perhaps a little bit critical of Larry when we uh, filled in the blanks here, right? And that's between you and the Lord, okay? So I'm not here to judge, right? We talked about not judging last week, right? But there's something that you should know. Wait for it. The thing that I forgot to mention to you about my buddy Larry is that Larry's only nine years old. Ouch, eh? So if you were making fun of him, you're like really bad. You got to pray after the message, okay, with me, okay? Just kidding. You know, who judges and pokes fun at a nine-year-old? No, 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 I'm kidding. Two things. Here's why I did this. Number one. Context is really, really, really important, right? If I'd have told you that before I gave you that equation, you would have probably had different answers to fill those blanks, and wouldn't you have? I set you up, I guess. I'm sorry. I apologize, okay? But context is really, really important. The fact that we didn't know that Larry was nine years old caused us to jump to some really interesting and perhaps wrong assumptions about him, right? Unless you really do think that he's a loser for living at home at the age of nine, then we'll talk later, right? 
You know, but people have done this around the verses that we're reading this morning plenty. The lack of context helps us to jump to conclusions that we never would have jumped to had we looked at the context. Number two, we have to remember that in understanding scripture, oftentimes the way that we interpret certain scriptures tells us more about ourselves than it tells us about the text itself. The way we interpret scripture sometimes exposes our hearts because each one of us brings something to the table when we interpret these things. Each one of us brings, you know, our experiences. We bring stuff with us. Lots of us still feel like if Larry, though, let's switch it around. If Larry was 39 years old and is well-abled but sits around at home all day, you know, collecting, you know, model cars and playing video games, some of us feel like he has missed it and some of us feel justified in what we said. And one of the reasons I think we feel that way in our society is because we are independent people in our culture and in our society. And we value it. We value earning our way. We value earning our own key, if you will. We value taking care of our own business. We value having it together. We want control, don't we? And we like that. We like to know how the bills are going to get paid. We like to know how this is going to work out. We like to have that in our hands and in our pockets, if you will, so that we don't have to be dependent on anyone else other than ourselves. We find a certain comfort in being able to know that we've provided and taken care of ourselves. We don't like to depend or be in need to others. Is that fair? I think that's fair in our society. And if it's not, you know, you can email me, right? But back to the text. Jesus asks us to, instructs us to continue asking, to seek and to knock. And these things tell a story in and of themselves. Let me unpack that a bit as we go this morning. So if you're going to ask something, there's going to be a command to ask, and there has to be someone who needs something, right? There has to be someone who needs something. And, you know, how many people in our culture just want to be known as needy? Anyone? Anyone want to jump up and down and be like, needy? Yeah, that's me. That's me. That's who I am, right? If you're needy, um, I don't think that's necessarily a compliment in our society, is it? I don't think that's something that we necessarily run to. I don't know very many people who introduce themselves to people and say, hi, my name's Jordan. I'm very needy, right? Good to meet you. I bet you're glad you met me today, right? This is going to work out really well for you. You know, often, you know, we introduce ourselves by talking about our job. We talk about where we live. We talk a little bit about ourselves, but we don't want to highlight the uncomfortable truths of our lives as soon as we meet other people, right? Is Joe here? Is he here? I thought I seen him back there. My buddy Joe... Um, used to always do something funny to me. I remember we were in Bible college together, and we would go to Starbucks probably three, four times a day, and I'm not exaggerating when I say that, right? But we would go to Starbucks all the time, and I remember once being in the, in the line, and, and, and we were talking to the lady, and we kind of got to know the staff a little bit too much. We were probably known as those guys who spend too much money here, right? And um, I remember once he was standing in line, and he had a $20 bill in his hand, and I was probably looking at the muffins or something, thinking about what I was going to what I was going to order, and he wanted to kind of get me, right? You know how, like, as buddies, we like to kind of pester each other and bug each other a little bit? And I remember he looked at me from the till, and he held a $20 bill at me and went, Hey, Jordan, you need? And he pointed at the coffee as if, as if I had no money to buy my own coffee, but he had to buy it for me, right? And, um, and, and he got me, and I, I was so upset after he did that, I was like, dang it, he just made me look silly because the girl at the till just started laughing at me, right? And she just started like, oh, man, he, he, he got his buddy here, right? But this act of asking in our culture and society has almost required a shriveling of the soul, if you will, doesn't it? To be in need is not something that any of us really want to prance around and talk about, do we? 
We don't really want an advertisement. We don't really want to throw it out there. We say things to people like, I'm sorry to bug you. Anyone ever started a conversation that way with someone? I'm sorry to bug you. Or I hate to even mention it. Or forgive me for even asking here. Forgive me for asking here. We use these phrases in our society so often that when it comes to asking and being in need, we don't even know where to start, really. Do we have to be sorry for asking something? Do we really hate mentioning things to people who are supposed to care? Do you need to start with forgiveness before even making a request to someone? Sometimes we don't know where to start, but according to Jesus, asking really is a beautiful way of being human. It's not only encouraged, but it's essential. It's something that, you know, we're, that, that Jesus wants us to do. Asking is really a beautiful way of being human. And so if there's something that's going to be asked, then somebody has to have something. Some, someone has to have something. Someone has to have something that we currently do not have and could use or want. And perhaps, you know, we'd like to have, and in some cases, perhaps we even need in order to make things work out. When it comes down to it, friends, we really do need each other. And yet, I think we find this tough to embrace sometimes because we live in such an independent culture, a culture where we take care of our own stuff, we look after our own messes, that it's very difficult to, rec to, to admit sometimes that there's something, you know, that someone has that we perhaps might need. And then there's want. You know, someone has to want something. You ever wanted something? Anyone? Anyone ever wanted something? Right? I think we've all been there where we've wanted something. And so these verses that Jesus is talking about, they encompass many things, but among them are desire and need and dependence and vulnerability, right? Ask, seek, knock, Jesus says, and he follows these petitions up with, with the promise of response. But we have to caution when we read these verses, because we can turn these verses into something that they were never, ever, ever intended to be. Because in our culture, in our human nature, sorry, it is very easy of us that we run the risk of making God into some sort of like divine vending machine when we read something like this. Where we put in coins and get whatever we want, right? Ask, you'll get. Seek, you'll find. Knock, it'll be open. And we even make up our own coins of, of currency too, don't we, right? So we have the faith coin, right? You put in the coin of faith and you hit, you know, F3 and all of a sudden Reese's in abundance just flows out of the machine, Right? Or there's the coin of works, right? If I do enough works, if I, you know, do enough good things for God, then, you know, maybe I can cash this in, and maybe God will listen to me. Maybe God will give me something back. And so we put it in the coin of works sometimes, and we expect that, you know, God's going to give us something because of the coin we used. And it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on. Are we ever guilty as Christians of asking God for the wrong things, or maybe even selfish things? Anyone? Janis Joplin, kind of, you know, in her song, Oh Lord, Won't You Buy Me a Mercedes-Benz, right? Kind of, uh, you know, pointed that out for us. You know, my friends all drive Porsches. I must make amends, right? I think it's easy for us to want to ask for things that are going to better our lives or make us happier or make things good for us. As people who are naturally prone to look after our own interests, it's completely probable that we run the risk of wanting to have a kingdom, but not a king and not having to submit to a king. You see, the kingdom of heaven sounds great, but bowing to a king is difficult. And think about that. If we were to get everything that we ever wanted, wouldn't that be a disaster waiting to happen? You want to talk about entitlement, right? James 4 says it like this. 
says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You see, God cannot be utilized as some means just to satisfy our own wants and lusts, if you will. God will not be the facilitator of greed, if I could just say it like that. If I could just put it that way. And some, some of us say, well, if God's willing, then why do we even have to ask? Why do we even have to make requests if God's willing to do all this for us? This is because God doesn't force himself on people. He's willing to be there. He's willing to give good gifts, but we still have to ask. But he has given each and every one of us free will. There's a couple of parables in the New Testament that describe this. The first one's found in Luke 18. We're not going to read it, but I'll tell you the story very quickly. It's the story of the persistent widow. And this widow is, is, is going to this judge day after day, day after day, looking for justice. And she keeps hearing the answer, no. How many of you love hearing no? Anyone? Anyone like me and you just love? No, no, I'm kidding. But she keeps going to the judge day after day after day after day, and, and eventually the judge says, well, this widow's wearing me out by coming so often, right? Coming so often. So, you know, I'm just going to see to it that she gets justice because she's going to wear me out if, if, if I keep having to listen to her day after day. And then Jesus turns around and talks about the goodness of God and how he's not an unjust judge and how much he desires to bring about justice for his people. You know, in the book of Luke, we, we, we read a story about knocking on a friend's door at the wrong time for bread, right? And knocking and knocking. And, and the whole theme behind these two stories, behind these two parables, is this idea of persistence and keeping on and not giving up, but continuing to ask, continuing to seek, continuing to literally knock as we see in this picture on the screen. And so Jesus, in this portion that we're looking at today, he really shows that he had his finger on the main problem I believe, of the human race. You see, the main problem of human beings is not that we are not getting enough. But the main problem of human beings is that we are disconnected from the Father. We're disconnected from the Father. And because we are disconnected from the Father, then we actually sometimes want the wrong things. We don't always know what is necessarily good for us. Sometimes we do. We have to leave that door open that sometimes we don't. And Jesus wasn't making a promise. He wasn't saying he was going to give these folks absolutely every single thing that they wanted. But he was trying in his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount to make them want the right things. He was trying to make them want the right things. What Jesus was doing in this sermon and in his ministry was that he was trying to teach the disciples something that they desperately needed to know. Something that the people standing around him that day desperately needed to know. Something that you and I desperately need to know. And that is the answer to the questions, what is the Father like? And can the Father really be trusted? Can the Father really be trusted? And this is why Jesus gives an illustration on parenting, right? And he begins to talk about parenting. And, you know, even though you are a flawed human being as a parent, you still know how to give good gifts to your child, he says. Well, how much more our Father in heaven can he give good gifts to those who ask? 
And then Jesus gives an illustration about a child asking. And this is how we know that Jesus wasn't, you know, of our culture. This is how we 100% know that the time and day that Jesus lived in was a little bit different than ours. Because how many of you who have kids today ever had a fi- a, one, one of your children ask for a fish? Anyone? For, for a Christmas present or for a birthday present. Anyone? Like, who asked for that, right? You know, I, I, you know, I have a tough time picturing a conversation with my daughter, Zara, when she's older. What do you want for your birthday, Zara, right? And, and, and her looking at me, please, Dad, I just want fish, okay? Just get me a whole bunch of fish, right? I'm probably more likely to ask for the snake, really, when you think about it in our culture. At least they're kind of wiggly and cool as a pet, right? But in this culture, fish and snakes sometimes even look alike. And in the ancient culture, breads and stones even had that appearance where they can kind of look alike. And so Jesus is saying to them when he's telling this story, do you think that the Father is tricking you? Do you think the Father is tricking you? Do you you think he's lying? Do you think he can be trusted? He's bringing us into these types of questions, which was of most importance to those who who had just given up everything to follow him. Could this father be trusted with everything? That's what what disciples really need to know. The disciples and those who left so much behind to follow Jesus, they didn't need material or possessions. Jesus already addressed that in chapter 6, right? He talked about, you know, don't worry about clothes. Don't worry about food. You know, he points to the birds and says, you know, your father takes care of them. How much more would he take care of you? He already addressed that in chapter 6. But what they did need, what these disciples and the people hearing Jesus did need, was to know the answer to the question, is this father trustworthy? Can I depend on him? If I need the Father in carrying out this mission that I've been given, will the Father be someone that I can depend on? Can we depend on God? You see, Matthew chapter 6, it talked about don't worry, but entrust yourself to God. Entrust and trust your life to him. And in Matthew chapter 7, last week we talked about judging others. And Pastor Jerry talked about logs and specks and did an awesome job just teaching us and taking us through that. And we talked about, you know, this idea of not trying to control people by judging or by manipulating them. But, you know, in chapter 7, it's almost like if chapter 6 taught us to entrust other people to God, chapter 7 is trusting us to, sorry, is teaching us to entrust ourselves, sorry, others to God. You see, the whole take of the sermon that Jesus is teaching is that you don't have to control everything. But Jesus instructs us to never stop doing something. And he says, ask. He says, seek. He says, knock. And this isn't just a one-time thing. You see, it's, 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 a ver- it's verb is continuous. Jesus uses what is called the present imperative tense. And this carries with it the idea that we will keep on doing it. We will keep on asking. We'll keep on seeking. We will keep on knocking. It won't just be a one-time event, but it's going to become a part of our lifestyle of following him. Theologian, professor, and author Scott McKnight in his commentary says this. He says, Jesus teaches that his disciples are to go to God, ask him, and expect him to respond. Why does he need to say this? Because the disciples are wondering if God will answer their prayers. Thus, chapter 7 and verses 7 and 8 isn't a promise that everything everyone asks will be given. Instead, it is addressing the doubting disciples who need to be assured that God indeed loves them and that they can trust him. 
You see, Jesus, every moment of every day, has declared that the kingdom of God and the king who reigns over it is available to us. It's available to us. It's available to you on this path. And, you know, we call this path discipleship. And this path of discipleship happens through relationship. And it's a kingdom that, that we have to learn. And this takes time. We don't just get this. How many of you became a Christian and all of a sudden woke up the next day and understood everything, right? How many of you have been a Christian 50 years and still don't feel like you understand it all, right? Or even a ton, right? And it takes time. And this wars with our natural instincts and desires of wanting things to be done right now. But I know that a primary work that Jesus has done in me and that he desires to do in those who follow him is he wants to teach us to want different things. He wants to teach us to want the things of God and the things that God wants, the things that he desires, the things that he longs for. Luke 12, 32, it says these words, Fear not, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What does the Father want to give his disciples? He wants to give them the kingdom. Jesus wanted to give people life. He knew some people were alive and yet dead at the same time. Jesus understood life in a way that we don't. And he wanted to give us the kingdom life, live with the king. Jesus is not talking about material things here. He already addresses that, as I mentioned in chapter 6, but he's moving in new territory here. And so let me ask a question in the room today. Are there any parents in the room today? Anyone? Right? We have some parents in the room. Any parents in this room today ever have kids who ask for stuff? Right? Anyone still have kids in their 40s who ask for stuff in this room today? Anyone, right? So, something tells me that this doesn't stop, but it's a continual thing throughout life. You know, but I want to ask the question, right? Are there any parents here today your kids ask for something, and what do they ask you for? You know, do they ask you for fruit snacks or for gum or for toys or maybe for tax advice, right? Um, did you say you had a six-year-old? No. Um, a babysitter, whatever the case may be. Um, I, I think most parents would be able to, you know, agree that, yeah, kids still ask for things. And as a parent, would you prefer that your child ask you for all sorts of things, even things that are kind of crazy? and long lists? Or would you prefer that if they're going to do that, that your child never, ever ask you for anything ever again? What would you prefer? Would you prefer your kid ask you something and have some good stuff and some crazy stuff and some intense stuff mixed in? Or would you prefer that they never, ever even talk to you and ask you for anything? I think most of us, am I okay to speak for us, would probably rather have our kids ask us for things that are intense and things that are a little crazy and things that are you know, very realistic, rather than them not talking to us at all. And so let's turn this around and make it about us and God. Because that's what Jesus is getting at here. And so it's like, you know, would God rather hear from us, even if some of the things we're asking for are a little selfish or a little self-focused, or would he rather not hear from us at all? You know, it's like God's sitting there thinking, you know, it's, it's almost like God at least... We're talking because it's a silence that's deadly. Are you with me? In all relationships, communication is so important, right? And if you cut off communication, nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to get better. Maybe for a moment, maybe in the middle of a heated argument, okay, you know, stop talking, right? Uh, have a code word, something like that, and stop talking for a little bit. But for relationships to function, for relationships to flourish, for relationships to work the way that God intended, we need to communicate. And sometimes 
even if the talking doesn't make a ton of sense, even if the talking doesn't really resonate with you, it's, it, it's just that at least we're finally talking because, you know, it's a silence that's really deadly. It's a silence that's killing us. You see, the interesting thing about these verses is that Jesus doesn't leave us a disclaimer <laughs> at the end of it. You know, for us, it would be like, ask, seek, and knock. Unless, of course, it is your annoying brother-in-law, Clifford, right? Then just ask him to get a job, right? And, you know, we would have like a disclaimer in there or something like that, right? Ask, seek, and knock, except, of course, if it's in, you know, we have our list of things that we'd probably throw in there. We'd leave a disclaimer, wouldn't we? How many know what I'm talking about? We would add a disclaimer because we would want to offset the very possible abuses of this teaching. We'd want to offset the abuses of these verses. But Jesus makes this very sort of strong, dogmatic, ask, seek, knock, and you'll get with no disclaimer to deal with these abuses. Which tells me that Jesus is far more interested that we understand the gift of asking for something. He's far more interested that we use the gift than the apparent abuses of the gift itself. He's far more interested that we have communication with the Father, that we are asking, than whether we're asking for the right things, much like we would in a parent-child relationship. Are you with me? It's as if Jesus is saying to us, you know, at least we're talking. Because it's the silence that's deadly. Every good relationship knows how valuable it is to communicate. At least we're talking. And so Jesus goes into that parable. He talks about stones and bread and fishes and snakes. And notice uh, Jesus had like this brutal honesty about the human condition. And, you know, and then he's kind of hopeful even in the same breath of what we're capable of, of. Even though you're evil, you still know how to give good gifts to your children. But how much more your heavenly father can give who's perfect and flawless. You see, the commands to ask, seek, and knock, to make requests, to petition, are followed up with the truth that we speak not to someone who ignores us or gets annoyed with us or is frustrated constantly by us or who's just like, oh, here they are again. Do I answer the phone call, right? But it's rooted in the truth that we serve a good and perfect God who, who loves us, who cares for us, and who can be trusted. He can be trusted. The beautiful thing that Jesus does here is he invites us to ask. Do you have a heart that cannot ask for things? A hard-working, look out for myself, manage my own stuff attitude, which in a lot of ways, you know, will really work into hard work. It'll work into noble traits. Don't get me wrong. I'm not at all, you know, belittling that in any way. But do you have a heart that despite that just can't ask for things? Do you have a heart that doesn't ask for things easily? You want to take care of it yourself. You want to have control. You don't want to be dependent. If so, Jesus is speaking to your heart this morning, and he's inviting you to ask. He's inviting you to seek. He's inviting you to knock. And to recognize that you don't walk alone, but that God is good and that God walks with us. Perhaps you only ask when things become a last resort. 
Perhaps you only ask when the situation looks really desperate, right? And how many times have we all said stuff like this, right? You know, God, I've tried everything, right? And I'm absolutely getting nowhere. I've exhausted all my resources. I tried this and this messed this and this up, right? I did this and this got me here where I don't want to be, right? You know, and, 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 and so I guess I'm coming to you now. I, I, I got nothing else, Lord. Here I am, right? And, and how backwards is that? When Jesus give, invites us to have an audience with the Father and ask and seek and knock, it's like bargaining um, with my parents, right? Anyone ever bargain with your parents when you're kids, right? Anyone ever bargain with your parents when you're 30, right? I think we all kind of know what we're talking about. But we make a deal, right? And if I do this, then I get this, right? How about if I do, then I get, and we, you know, we try and make deals to get something we want, and, um, you know, we do this with our parents. Certainly, we never do this with our spouses, right? Right, right, married people, right? We never do that, right? But do we ever approach God that way? I wonder if we approach him that way sometimes. God, if I, if, if I serve you here, God, if I do this here, will you then in turn do this for me? Or God, if I, if I strengthen my faith to this point, will you then in turn do this? Like, you know, I wonder if we ever approach God with this bargaining attitude. And we must recognize that in Jesus' teaching here, these petitions to ask, seek, and knock are anchored in the goodness and love of God, of the Father who cares. We serve a good God, amen? The gospel, let me talk about the gospel. Let me talk about God. I can't talk about God without talking about the gospel. So let me go on a tangent here just for a second. The gospel is Jesus' announcement of good news. And it is good news that, you know, over the years as a pastor and as a student and just as a fellow Christian, I've, encountered, I've interacted with so many people who are operating under the conviction that if they could just get better or be better as a person, you know, if they were more moral, more disciplined, more spiritual, more kind, more holy, if they could just do that and muster that up a little bit better, then they would be in. Then they would be accepted. Then they'd be embraced. Then they'd be validated. Then they'd be affirmed by God. Anyone ever met people like that? Anybody a person like that? You see, that's not the gospel. That's not the Father's love that Jesus anchors these petitions in today. Because the gospel is the shocking announcement. It's good news that even in your moments of despair, failure, sin, weakness, frustration, falling, wandering, falling short, the, that God meets you there. And in the midst of that, right there. And he's not hiding out somewhere so he doesn't get dirty from your sin, but he meets you right there, exactly there. And in that place, he announces to you that I love you. And that I am on your side. And that I do care for you. You see, the gospel insists that God doesn't wait for us to get ourselves polished up or shined or proper without blemish, but that God comes to us and meets us and blesses us while we're still in the middle, even of the messes that maybe we created. You see, the gospel isn't us getting it together so that we can have God's favor, but the gospel is us finding God exactly in that moment of our greatest not-togetherness, if I could say it like that. The gospel isn't doing enough things just to be worthy, but the gospel and goodness of God opens our eyes to our unworthiness. And yet to Jesus' insistence and his grace that despite it all, he loves and accepts us all anyways. This gospel calls us to a major change and thinking, a massive leap in how you see yourself. And this is why Jesus always instructed repentance in his teaching, because repentance literally means to change your thinking, to see things in a new way. And this took me a long time to learn myself. 
And this is what I believe Jesus is teaching here. In asking, seeking, and knocking, that we are not approaching a father who's mad and upset and annoyed and bothered by us, but we approach a father who loves us, who's for us, who's with us. And what a beautiful truth that is for us this morning. That he cares and that he can be trusted. Let me do a quick interlude about verse 12, and then we'll conclude today. But verse 12's in here, and it almost seems like it's out of place, doesn't it? So we have this talk about ask, seeking, and knocking, about coming to God. We had this illustration about parenting and, you know, a good father God is. And then it says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do to them also. For this sums up the law and the prophets, right? It's almost like Jesus is saying, you know, he throws this at us and it almost in our minds feels like a curveball and like it's out of place with the rest of the story. Seems like an odd place for it to be. And is Jesus, we ask the questions, is Jesus talking about our relationship with God here? Or is Jesus talking about our relationship with each other here? And the Western mindset really likes to separate those two things, right? We, we compartmentalize. Um, this is spiritual. This is secular. Uh, this is work. This is home. This is this, right? And we, we like to compartmentalize, and we like to break things up into different categories. And so the Western mind asks the question when we read something like this that really seems like it was just talking about our relationship with God, and then we get this curveball thrown in about others. The Western mind asks the question, is Jesus talking about our relationship with God here? Or is he talking about our relationship with each other? And so the Western mind really wants an answer there, but the Eastern mind hears those two questions and responds with a very, very, you know, inspiring word. Yup. Yes. All of life is spiritual. All of life has spiritual connotations. And so our view of the Father not only has huge implications on how you and I relate to him, but it also has huge implications on how you and I relate to one another. The way that I view God will affect how I relate with him, but it also affects how I relate with other people. That's why I believe Jesus put this in here, because he talked about judging. We talked about last week. He talks about prayer and us seeking God. He talks about this week, and yet somehow these two things can kind of come together. You see, how I relate with other people is highly reflective of my relationship with God and how I see him. Think about it like this. If you think that God is the kind of God that continues to hand you snakes when you want fish, or hands you stones when you want bread, if that's what you think of God, it's going to affect your view of him and who he is. And that, in turn, is going to have an effect on your behavior. It's going to have an effect on how you live. It's going to have an effect on your prayer life, but it's also going to have an effect on how you treat other people. Are you with me? Have you ever met someone who believes that God is only ever just continuously handing them stones or snakes when they ask for fish and bread? Anyone ever met someone like that? Because I guarantee you that is not a person who's going out into the world and handing out bread. A.W. Tozer said it like this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And it affects not only our relationship with him, but in a very real way it affects our relationships with each other. And so our view of God will affect whether we are people who petition. Whether we are people who ask, seek, or knock, how we view he responds to that is going to affect whether we do it. But our view of God will also affect our relationships with each other. 
Because our love for God and our love for each other cannot be separated. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he said, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And they're not independent commands of one another, but they actually work together. And he said it that way for a reason. The second is just like it. And so Jesus gives us a golden rule here, and he says, treat other people the way that you want to be treated. Treat other people the way that you've been treated by your Father in heaven. And remember that above all, your heavenly Father is good. And so my experiences in the past have taught me that it's easier to make Christians feel guilty about their lack of prayer life. (laughs) It's easier to rant at people and be like, hey, how much did you pray this week? If I were to bug each one of you and ask you how much you prayed this week, how many of you would start thinking, well, this, this was technically prayer, and, you know, and some of you would give me a long list. But it's easier, I find, sometimes to make Christians feel guilty about their lack of prayer life than it is to motivate them to become more active in prayer. Right? Because making people feel guilty rarely ever produces prayer. How many of you ever get a good beat down about your prayer life and you just want to go home and start with joy, right? Probably feel discouraged. But Jesus' words in this text may be the most insightful words in the entire Bible on how to motivate people to pray. Jesus is the ultimate motivator. If you want to pray, he knows where to take you to get you there. Instead of using guilt to motivate you, he declares that what we really need to know and understand and have is a compelling vision of the goodness of our Father in heaven. That he loves us and that he can be trusted. Knowing God's love, knowing God's goodness, and learning to embrace those attributes of God, those are the things that are going to prompt us to pray. That's the kind of person we want to spend time with. Those, that, that's the kind of person we want to bring our requests to. We don't pray to a God who's angry, mad, annoyed, and bothered by us, but we pray to a God who's good beyond anything that we could ever muster up into words. And he desires to hear from us. At least we're finally talking because it's a silence that's deadly. And so God wants to hear from us. I'm going to ask the worship band to come forward. We talked earlier about how we're going to end our time just with a song or two of worship. And I want to give everyone a chance to respond today to what God's maybe been speaking to your heart. How many of us need to break the silence this morning? How many of us, you know, you've been carrying something around with you this week and you know you weren't meant ever to carry it alone? How many of us, it's been so long since we prayed, it's been so long since we've gone to the Father, that maybe today's that morning we do. How many of us, maybe we've had an improper view of him? And we need to ask him to reveal his love to us. As followers of Jesus, at the heart of following him, we recognize that we're not complete, that there's so much more that we need. We're needy people. We need more truth. We need more light. We need more grace. We need more help. And so Jesus speaks to our sense of need and says, ask, seek, and knock. Right? And he's inviting us to relate to God as our father and us as his children. And this was unique to his culture. Up until this point, only certain people could approach God. And if they did, they definitely didn't look, right? But Jesus reveals God as a father, a loving father. And we need to recognize that this good, loving, and faithful father who gives good gifts to his children is wanting to have relationship with us today, is wanting to commune with us. And so I'm going to have everyone stand. One thing that God never denies us, one thing that we ask, we will receive. When we seek, we will find. When we knock, the door will be opened is salvation. Amen? Is there anyone here today maybe who you need to ask God into your life for the first time? Anyone?
that's you, I want you to come chat with me after the gathering. I'll be up here. I'd love to chat with you more about that. But for some of us, we've kept stuff balled in. We've kept stuff inside. We need to release it, and we just need someone to pray with today. If you've come in today, and you know you need to ask, you need to seek, you need to knock, I'm going to invite uh, members of our staff and prayer team just to make their way to the crosses in the corners at the front. And if you have a need today, I want to invite you during our worship time just to make your, make your way there, and, 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 and one, someone will pray with you. Someone will ask, someone will seek and knock with you as you go to God today. On the tables by the crosses are these post-it notes. Our practice here at Soul Sanctuary is that when you have a request, when you want someone to be praying with you, you just fill out your request on one of these post-it notes and just post it to the cross. And in our staff meeting this week, we'll, we'll read over them, we'll pray over them, we will, we'll pray with you in asking, seeking, and knocking. And so if that's you today, I want to encourage everyone, if you can, if you've got something that needs prayer, if you want us to pray for you this week, please make your way to one of the crosses, fill out one of the post-it notes, and just leave it at the cross. Let me pray for us today. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time that we've been able to come in today and worship and just hear from you and uh, hear from your word, God. I pray that you would just continue to instruct us and guide us. Help us to be people, Lord, who can let down our pride, Lord, enough to ask and to recognize, Lord God, there are many places where we have need. And as we bring it before you today, Lord, we ask that you would continue to meet them, Lord God, according to your rich grace and love. And so go with each one of us this week. Help us to have good encounters with you. Help us to understand your love even more this week. We thank you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you're praying at the crosses, continue to pray. And uh, I'm just going to end with a blessing today. So in ancient times, the one who blessed did so by extending hands. And so if you'd like to receive a blessing today, please extend your hands as well. And um, here it is reading from the scriptures in 1 John 3, 1, how great is the love that the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. May you go into this week as someone who asks, seeks, and knocks, because those who ask, receive, those who seek, find, and for those who knock, the door is open encouraged today that God is with you, strengthening you with his love. Amen. God bless. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.